Hello, everybody. I'm Two Tone the Artist. And I'm Mitch the Peach. Welcome back to the Hills Are Silent podcast, where we chainsaw chop it up about the video games of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. This is going to be a leaned back, laid back episode. My head is pounding from work, and um, I'm barely, barely breathing over here, man. Pulse is yeah, there. I'm, I'm drinking coffee at six o'clock, so that tells you how my day went as well. So here we are. Anyway, come on in, man. Pull up a chair. Uh, it reclines. Pull the lever. Let's hang out, y'all, and talk some video games. All right. Mitch, I've been playing a game, a new game, this week. Oh, yeah, hey, new game. Let's go. Yeah, I got a copy of The Red Star for PlayStation 2. I picked it up at the local comic book store slash used game store here in Georgia. And this is an interesting one. I've heard through the grapevine that this is a good game, so I've been meaning to check it out. And it seems to be an uncommon game. And that's another reason why I wanted to pick it up for my collection as well. So typically games that are hard to come by, low print run games, especially ones that are good, are really expensive out in the the used game market. So I'm actually very surprised that this game is not as as sought after as I think it would be. So right now you can get the game for I don't know maybe about fifty or sixty dollars. Uh, I got my copy for like right around fifty bucks, which is expensive for a PlayStation Two game. Yeah, I was about to say that. But when you've got games like Silent Hill Two going for like two three hundred dollars on the used game market. Like, it could be worse. And you got games like, uh, what are those other ones? There's Rule of Rose and Kuan and uh, Haunting Grounds, which are all survival horror games. Those seem to be on the more valuable end, along with RPGs on PlayStation 2, oh, JRPGs. Yeah. But anyway, A lot of those Dragon Quests, right? Is that the ones that are pretty, uh, those older Dragon Quest games? I don't know about the Dragon Quest ones, at least not the ones on PlayStation 2, but I think the PlayStation 1 the series. games are really expensive. But anyway, yeah, some of those games, I mean, like Rule of Rose and Kuan, they had they had Kuan at the uh, the game store I went to pick up the Red Star at, mm-hmm. and they were selling it for, I think, like a thousand bucks. So... I'm surprised. They, and they've, they've gotten all of those, like, really, really rare games in a handful of times but typically it's like disc only or the game's like missing the manual or something so to see that they had like a complete copy of Kuan that was uh that was a sight to behold but there's no there's no way in hell I'm buying that <laughs> I can easily emulate that game and keep my thousand dollars anyway like I'm getting totally off topic anyway I'm surprised this game is not more expensive because it's freaking awesome so my buddy and I tried to play it because it's a co-op game. It's essentially like a side-scrolling beat-em-up game. I mean, you can move forward and back a little bit, but for the most part, it's a side-scrolling 3D beat-em-up. And my buddy and I tried to play it on co-op, and we couldn't even get past the first level. We tried it over and over and over again. And the thing is, is there's no checkpoints in the level. You have to make it all the way to the end, 
And if you die before you reach the end of the level, you're starting all the way over from the very beginning. So we tried about three or four times and eventually gave up. So then I went back to the game by myself to give it another go. And I got through the first level on the first try and it was super easy. I was like, what? What? I don't know what was going on with me and my buddy. I mean, I think at most we had one beer in us. So I don't, I don't think that was the issue. But yeah, that wouldn't have uh, uh, delayed your performance that much. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, so I don't know what happened. But anyway, now I'm playing it single player, and I've been flying through the game. It's not very long to begin with. I think you can beat it in like five hours or less. And I think there's 18 levels in total, and right now I'm on level 15. So I'm definitely going to finish it this weekend. But it's a unique game. So it is a side-scrolling beat-em-up, so you have melee attacks but you also have a gun. So you have a ranged attack with your gun and melee for close combat. And there's a bunch of different maneuvers and combos and stuff you can do. You can swap out your gun. Uh, you can, there's like a temporary block attack you can do. And there's a lot of strategy involved. Like you can only block certain attacks. Like melee attacks, you can block several of them, but gun attacks, you can only block a few of those before it breaks your shield, and then you have certain enemies that you can only kill with melee attacks, so you have to get up close and personal. It's, it's a lot of mix between ranged and close quarters combat and different strategies you have to take depending on the enemy you're fighting. And then throughout the level, you'll get multiple boss encounters. Sometimes there's up to like three bosses per level. And when you're fighting the bosses, the camera shifts into more of an overhead view. And are you familiar with bullet hell shooters? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Where it's just like a million bullets coming at you in different patterns. And the game is... In bullet hell shooters, you have all these bullets flying at you, like so many that they practically fill the screen. And they're very distinct patterns you have to memorize. So you have to weave and bob and navigate through these slow moving bullets so you don't get hit and at the same time you have to simultaneously be shooting whatever enemy is is just shooting all these bullets at you so it's really cool it's like a beat em up mixed with a bullet hell shooter yeah and, one of uh, my favorite uh roguelike games actually is a bullet hell game called enter the gungeon and it's very similar to that where there's just like it, it's a roguelite so it's a dungeon crawler but it's also bullet hell where there's just like you go into each room and there's so much crap coming at you at once and you have to kind of memorize the patterns of each uh, type of enemy. Yeah, it's it's stressful, but it's fun. And typically, I'm not a huge fan of bullet hell shooters. I do like... So there's a, a small distinction. There's just shooters where you are... It's the same concept, but there's not as many bullets on the screen. Uh, screen. And then bullet hell shooters are the, are the ones that just take it to the next level. They're like the more difficult version of those uh, overhead shooter games. Mm. Anyway, typically I don't like bullet hell shooters, but in this game, it, since it's not continuously that, it switches between that and a, a third-person beat-em-up. I think it's it's refreshing, and it's just... Because it's very stressful. It's fun, but it's also stressful. So like only having to deal with it in small bursts is nice. And there are actually... I don't know if there's any more levels like this, because I still have four more levels to go, but one of the levels was a straight-up side-scrolling shooter. All of a sudden, your guy gets in a spaceship at the end of one level, and the next level, you're literally doing a side-scrolling shooter. Hmm. So that 
I enjoy games that combine multiple genres and really mix things up. So I've, I've been loving this game. I recommend it to anybody out there. Uh, an interesting story about this game is it was finished, if I remember correctly, the game was finished in 2004. It's based on either, I think, a comic book or, or a cartoon. I'm not sure. I, I'm not familiar with the Red Star, but it's definitely something that already exists. Are you about to look it up, Mitch? Mm-hmm. Yeah, let me know. I want to say it's a comic book. But anyway, the game was finished in 2004, and then the publisher went out of business before the game could be released. So it sat finished for several years, unreleased. And then eventually, in 2007, another publisher bought the rights to the game and actually released it. So keep in mind... You're right. Sorry, you're right. It is a uh, comic book series. Okay. So... And you also have to keep in mind, it was released in 2007 for the PlayStation 2. The Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 had already been out for several years. So the PlayStation 2 player base was dwindling. So that's that's one of the reasons why this game's hard to come by. It was just a late release for the PlayStation 2. And I'm sure not a lot of copies were made and not a lot of people probably bought this game. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's awesome. I recommend it. And... Uh, I'll let you guys know when I finish it. Solid. I've been playing some games, too. I've uh, been playing one in particular. But before we go there, I want to give a shout-out to your mom. I meant to do this at the beginning of the podcast. But uh, I'm going to give her a shout-out now because I am repping one of the shirts. She sent me some money uh, with my SSD that accidentally got sent to you guys, uh, thanks to my dad. Uh shipping out uh, one of my packages to you guys accidentally but uh she gave me some money and uh and it was very nice of her she told me to buy some t-shirts for the pod and uh i'm rocking uh, one today i got a nice kirby shirt this time around and uh my next the next pod i'll have another one that i bought as well okay i like that kirby one that one's cool yeah this one's pretty nice it's uh it's pretty comfy too good good material good shout out to gamestop for their clearance uh, section they've got some good stuff in there yeah, yeah. Surprisingly, GameStop has a good shirt selection. Well, they have a a good selection of cool looking shirts, but every time I go there, they never have my size. They always have like extra, extra small and extra, extra, extra large. I'm just like, who's who's buying all the mediums and larges? Like, can I just get one of these shirts? <laughs> I was surprised because I saw this in the clearance. I'm like, there's it's probably going to be like you said, an extra, extra large or an extra, extra small. But they had like every size. I was like, all right, nice. Nice. Yeah, sometimes um, sometimes that clearance section of GameStop, there can be some treasures in there. I got a uh, an umbrella keychain hmm. from Umbrella Corporation keychain for Resident Evil. I've had that thing for years. I love it. I never lose my keys. Now with there that, you go. no, definitely not. It's too uh, too distinguishable. <laughs> yeah, and anytime people always recognize it too. I've had people say. Mention, make comments about it at the gym. Uh, I remember one time I was getting my car valet parked, and the valet handed handed me my keys, and he was like, "Nice keychain." So <laughs> I know he plays Resident Evil. Or at yeah, least I was, uh, what walking, it was. I was walking down the street maybe a couple weeks ago, and I it, it is really recognizable because some guy had a a bumper sticker that was the, that was just the umbrella logo on it, and I was like, "Hey, like you know, just." Pointed out immediately. I'm like, nice. Yeah. Or a Resident Evil fan. 
but yeah, so shout out to your mom again. Thank you so much. I know you listen to the pod. So uh, yeah, be on the lookout for my next week's shirt because that is another one that I got uh, as well. Cool. Uh, but switching gears, going to the game that I have been playing lately. And uh, this one uh, is is an interesting game. I know you said it was very interesting. You were looking forward to me talking about it, but it is called Dredge. And Dredge is published, or it is, uh, it's published by Team 17, which uh, you're familiar with Team 17. They publish the Worms games, which are some, uh, of my, yes. uh, some of my favorite games that we've talked about in a previous pod as well. Uh, but it's developed by a New England studio called Black Salt Games. And uh, I didn't see anything else that they've created before. So this might be their first game. I'm not certain. But uh, they've it's gotten really good reviews, and I'm pleased to say that I am having a lot of fun with it uh, to start here. I haven't gotten too far into it, but I've gotten enough where I, I do have a lot to talk about with it. Uh, so essentially, this is Dredge is a fishing game. It's mainly a fishing game, but there's a big adventure centered around your fishing. Uh, you're you basically you're a fisherman who sails to a coastal town of Great uh, Greater Morrow is what it's called situated in a distant land and uh essentially you take up a job to be the town's local angler and as the angler the previous one left for unknown reasons they're kind of vague as to why he left but then you soon find out that there is some very scary stuff going on in this town at night and uh with that being said the game takes place in a day night cycle and I know you were talking about how your game is pretty stressful that you've been playing. Dredge can get very stressful as well. With a day-night cycle, everything you do when you start fishing or if you're even sailing around the land, the time ticks and the day goes by. So, and it doesn't seem like it takes that long, or at least I don't feel like I can get a lot done during that time. I can do a little bit of fishing, a little bit of navigating, and then I need to hightail it back to a dock. Because once it gets nighttime, it gets super foggy in in this in this uh, island, and basically your guy has a or the angler has a fear uh, meter, and once it gets too dark and he can't see, his fear starts going up, and these creatures, they're almost like mythical water creatures of some sort. Uh, they feast on that fear, and they are trying to come and take him out on his boat. And so every time it's it's very stressful. It's a, it can be stressful at times because I'm out there fishing, trying to maybe complete quests and catch specific fish or maybe go and deliver something to another island in the in the main region. But then I realize, oh, crap, it's getting dark. I need to hightail it back because these like swamp monster things are coming to take out my boat. And so there's a lot of that going on. The day night cycle thing is 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 very interesting, a very cool dynamic with it. As far as the fishing aspect, which I think is like the main, I guess the, the fishing aspect is the main thing that's centered around this game. It is actually a lot of fun. Essentially what you do is you stick, you know, you, you put your reel in and then there's like a wheel that's, uh, that rotates around and there's little green checks and you have to like basically press A or X or whatever. And in those check marks as you, as it, shuffles around the circle and if you that makes your reel go up faster and then you catch the fish but uh along with the fish themselves 
you sell those fish for money and then you use that money to upgrade your boat to make it faster so you can move around the land quicker to maybe upgrade your reels because each uh, different uh, fishing pole that you have is better for different types of waters, whether it's ocean, whether it's coastal, whether it's shallow. So there's a there's a ton of like stuff that's like centered into this like basic fishing game to where there's almost like a huge there's also like a, a big kind of grand story in it. And I think there's from what I, I looked up, there is a good ending and a bad ending with it. And I don't know how I get either of those. I guess I'll find out as I move along. But uh, another interesting wrinkle into that. And I think the the other thing I want to talk about and go back to the fishing aspects each fish takes up a certain part of your inventory so i think i was telling you off the pot it it, it kind of reminds me of like a resident evil inventory system uh-huh. type thing where each type of fish or each type whatever you're collecting it could be materials fish trinkets that you collect underwater whatever it all takes up a certain amount of inventory slots like or like a certain amount of space and they have different um they have different shapes and sizes so like you kind of have to do a tetris kind of thing and see if you can fit everything in your inventory because you know you want you want to fit as much as you can on your run before it gets dark out then you come back and essentially sell everything or you use it for upgrades or whatnot so i thought it was kind of, it's kind of fun to try and like tetris stuff around to try and fit it into certain areas and and get as much on your ship as you can or on your boat so I think that that's a cool a cool thing with it. There's other I mean there's a whole bunch of other stuff like the fish themselves there's there's a ton of like cool stuff with like the fish. There's different rarities of fish. There are fish that are like I guess they have they're like warped fish or like almost like um they they call them like aberrations or like just warped not normal looking fish that cost more money if you sell them and you get an encyclopedia of a whole bunch of fish that you collect. So there's a lot of like different reasons to to be interested in the game and to play the game, whether it's like just the catching the fish aspect, the dredging part of it, where you actually like go and collect like trinkets and lost stuff under the water, the doing quests for the people on the islands, sailing around and discovering new islands and new areas and which ultimately gives you new fish and whatnot. Um, so yeah, honestly, I, I'm really pleased with the game. I think it's it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun, and just the fishing itself was addicting. And I know, as you know, I've I've talked about, I'm a big fan of 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 fishing games like Animal Crossing. So uh, yeah, it's, it was right up my alley. Uh, but looking forward to playing more. That's that's Dredge. It uh, it just came out pretty recently and uh, has pretty favorable reviews on Steam. So yeah, I'm having a good yeah, time with it. It's got. Is sitting at overwhelmingly positive right now with close to 10,000 reviews. It's funny, my buddy Dario, he always tells me, he's like, I'll just buy anything that has an overwhelmingly positive review on Steam. <laughs> I was like, that's, I mean, it- that's one approach to picking your games. But yeah, it says it was released I- March 30th, and uh, it's only 25 bucks, so it's not, it's not going to break the bank. No, I feel like you really get your money's worth with $25. You think it's just a simple fishing game, but then when you get into it, there's just so much more in the world that they created and uh, the quest line that they've kind of centered around this mechanic of fishing or dredging through, you know, the water. 
to get, you know, whatever you're looking for and to help the 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 people that live on the island. And the art style is cool. It's almost got like a a water painting look to it. And yeah, just, I actually noted they got uh, inspiration on their art through games like Frostpunk, if you're familiar with that, or uh, Papers, Please is another one. I think they said that they had, uh, which uh, I've played a little bit of Frostpunk, and it does that. The cutscene art style very much reminds me of that. Hmm. And yeah, showing scenes during nighttime, and I see all the sea monsters you're talking about. Release the Kraken! Yeah, it's creepy. Like it, it scares. Like, like I'm, I'm just sitting there, like in the dark at night playing this game, and like it gets dark in that game, and like all these like pink eyeballs start coming out of the water, and it's just the scariest thing because I'm like I can't see anything. It's all misty, and like and I only have a little light that that can like guide me to where I need to get back to the dock, and then out of nowhere, this big sea monster, whatever the heck it is. Kraken comes and just like takes a bite out of my boat and my boat's damaged. I'm limping, trying to get back to the dock. And uh, yeah, it can get a little little stressful, a little freaky. Like I feel like I'm always on a time limit to go out and then come back so I don't get eaten. Um, super cool. Yeah, and I think a lot of people have a natural fear of the water, the sea, and underwater creatures. Uh, yeah, it kind of yeah, reminds I'm... me of uh dying light or it's like you got to do everything you can during the day because as soon as nightfall comes it's way more dangerous you don't even want to be out i think even final fantasy 15 was like that it's been a while since i played that but i think in that game you have you want to get inside or in a town when nighttime comes because that's when the really strong powerful enemies come out so yeah a couple questions sure did, did you buy this on Steam or did you get it? Is it on Game Pass? Xbox Game Pass? I, I bought it on Xbox. I didn't. It's not a Game Pass game. Maybe it'll come to Game Pass and I will regret buying it. But I uh, I was really interested in it when it came out. So I was like, oh, I'll, you know, I'll support the developers and $25. You know, I, I thought it would be a, a fun one to play. And I think it's been well worth it. Yeah. And how did you find out about this? Because I didn't hear about this game at all. Yeah, I was actually listening to another video game podcast that, uh, ah. <laughs> and they were, yeah, I know, I'm I'm cheating on our own podcast here. No, no man, but, it's um, all right. That's that's how you spread your knowledge. That's that's the point of these podcasts to just get information out there, and learn about new cool games to check out. Absolutely, and I, I they had really been hyping this up, and uh, they were kind of talking about that inventory aspect and how it was really fun to. Uh, to catch these fish and try and fit them in your inventory so you can get a full run on your boat before you go back. Uh, and that's how I figured it out. And, and yeah, again, don't regret buying it. Yeah, and this is a cool, unique idea. You could Some people could claim that every video game idea has been done to death and people are just remaking mm-hmm. the same games over and over again. We're a thousand sequels deep and a lot of franchises so it is very refreshing when something like this comes around where it's unique sure it might have some mechanics or some inspiration from other games but yeah i've i've never heard of anything like this or played anything like this and just the idea of like a single player story driven fishing game it's yeah it's not something that you would you would think of or something you'd come across in many games 
Yeah, they combined a lot of really cool aspects as far as like the fishing aspect, the exploring, the interacting with people that live on these islands to like almost treasure hunting for some of your quests and dredging like far down into the ocean to try and find trinkets or keys or something that leads into more of the story that you unfold as you play the game. Uh, so a lot of cool aspects and I'm really looking forward to like you can upgrade your your boat obviously to get faster um you know to get stuff that make you know uh gears or whatever that makes you faster or you know or a little more durable or more inventory space and so i i'm really looking forward to when i'm fully upgraded and can really dive in and go around the uh the island or the entire map as fast as i want to because right now I, I can only go a certain speed and so it doesn't give me a lot of time to explore before i'm like oh crap i gotta get back man this thing's gonna come get me like so are you able to fight the monsters at night or can you only just run from them? I've not been able to fight them yet, but I did just right after, right before we started the pod, I unlocked uh, this one perk by uh, advancing into the story. I think I found a key underwater and I delivered it to this the guy called the collector um, or something along those lines. And I gave it to him and he's like, hey, I'm going to open this, you know, magic book and I'm going to give you a perk. And he gave me this perk where like, I can like almost like have a turbo and and move through the water like a lot faster for a certain amount of time at the expense of like my boat can get damaged more easily or something like that. So I'm wondering if there's other perks along the way that might be able to help me, you know, fight off these these creatures at night. We'll see. Yeah. Highly recommend if you're looking for something. Uh, it, I thought it was going to be more chill, and it's really not that. Uh, it's it's a bit more stressful than I than I thought, but still highly recommended if you're a fan of you know, if you're a fan of like fishing games, <laughs> or even just exploring. So, fishing, even though this game is very unique, fishing has been done in other games before. So it's it's been just a small part of certain games and there are also fishing games like realistic ones so I'd like to to kind of dive into that so what what is your earliest memory or maybe just your favorite memory of playing a game that has fishing in it yeah um, I've, I've talked about it before probably multiple times at this point, but uh, Animal Crossing, I even talked to it, I even mentioned it just a little bit ago, but Animal Crossing is probably my earliest memory of fishing in a game and just being enamored by the whole concept of it. As simple as it is, it became one of my favorite things and really is what got me addicted to Animal Crossing to begin with on GameCube back in when I was a middle schooler. Uh, my friend Tim and I used to, he'd bring over his GameCube, because obviously it was the first one was on the GameCube, and he'd bring over his GameCube, and we'd had our, we had our own separate towns in Animal Crossing. And a big thing is, like, you just go and, and you, you'd fish in the, in the ocean area that they had in Animal Crossing. And they had different rarities of fish that cost a different amount of bells that you could, you could sell to Tom Nook, who would price gouge you for everything. <laughs> And so, <laughs> uh, fond memories of me and Tim, uh, him having his plugged in on a one TV and mine having mine on another TV and just shouting if we caught 
one of the rare fish you can get like i think a red snapper was more expensive or like a i think a bared knife jaw i don't know i remember all these fish they were like the more expensive ones that you could sell and it would it would help you pay off your house that tom nook has uh charged you millions of bells for um so yeah that that's definitely one of my fondest memories and uh even nowadays though like the fishing in that it, it's so simple it's just you cast your you you see the shadow of the fish underneath the underneath the water you line up your reel so that you put it in front of the fish so the fish will go up to it and and take a nibble out of it and then you just wait and you the fish will keep nibbling it nibbling it and then you'll press a or you know x or whatever whenever the whenever the bobber goes under the water and then basically that's it you catch the fish it's a very simple concept but it's super addicting to just not know what you're gonna catch and then like you know you pull it up and you might get this big old shark that comes out or something like that um and i know i've talked about it previously but even nowadays with animal crossing uh new horizons on the switch it's like my favorite bedtime game because the fishing is just so relaxing and i just kind of chill in my bed with my switch and you know just cast a line here or there for about 20 30 minutes and i'm like you know what it's time for bed i'm feeling good <laughs> but yeah that's definitely that's definitely my best my best memory uh and uh it's it, there's so much nostalgia with animal crossing and a lot of it centers around the fishing aspects what about you uh i remember the the fishing in the legend of zelda ocarina of time so at some point there's some tiny little pond you come to and there's a cabin next to the pond and you can go in there and i think the guy either gives you a fishing rod or lends one to you and then you come out of the cabin and then you go to the pond and you can fish and again it is very relaxing and if you catch a fish you can bring it back to him and he'll weigh it for you and tell you how well you did or how, how big of a catch you had. And I, if I remember correctly, if you get, if you catch a fish bigger than the current record that they have at the, the fishing hut or cabin or whatever, then you get some prize. So I remember being a little kid and just trying over and over and over and over again and just getting all these tiny fish and be like, dang it, dang it, dang it, being so persistent. And then recently I've been replaying through The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time on my Nintendo 3DS, which is actually a really good port of that game. They improved the graphics some and, and did some other small improvements to the game. But that's a great way to play and it's just cool to play it in 3D. So... While playing it in that, I caught the bigger fish much faster. So I don't know if they intentionally tweaked the game, because like I said, they, they made some small improvements to it, or if I, I was just did. lucky this time around. But yeah, that's, that's like the earliest I remember fishing in a game, although I'm sure there's probably something on the original Nintendo Entertainment System or the Sega Genesis that had fishing. Yeah, your example with Zelda kind of brings you back to Animal Crossing and uh, it all operates, Animal Crossing all operates on real time. So like whatever time it is now where you live, that's what time it is in the Animal Crossing town. And uh, whatever day it is in Animal Crossing is what day it is in, you know, in in real life. So uh, 
you had, when I was on the GameCube version, I would time it because like a certain weeks of the year, they would have fishing competitions on Animal Crossing, and you would uh, they you'd show up in one of the I can't remember. I think his name was like Chipper or something. He's one of like he's the fishing guy. He comes and you see him in the town. You're like, oh yeah, fishing competition, and you could win like prizes in Animal Crossing for catching the biggest fish. Uh, or the biggest type of fish that they request, like if it's a bass or whatever. So yeah, that was that was a good time too. So, oh, I have a uh, I have a real life fishing story to tell. So I have not gone fishing in years. I think it was probably. I want to say 2009, the last time I went fishing. So it's been 14 years since I've gone fishing. And that's intentional. Yeah, I used to go fishing with my dad every now and then. I remember fishing with my grandpa once and catching a a decent-sized catfish. Although, I'm pretty sure he caught the catfish and then handed me the, the rod and was like, Oh, look, you caught a fish! Because it was almost instantaneously after he handed me the the fishing rod that I realized I had caught something. So I think, uh, rest in peace, Grandpa, but if you were doing that just to uh, give me the experience of catching a fish, that was very nice of you. But I'll say, catfish are, uh, they're tough ones to get out of the water and catch in general. They're very aggressive, so I'm going to guess that uh, that was the case. Yeah, he helped me after that, after handing me the rod after I realized I had something, he came over and helped me reel it in. But anyway, yeah, so in 2009, I went fishing with one of my buddies, and I caught a fish, a real, real tiny one. And when I pulled it out of the water, the hook had gone in its mouth and out of its eye. And the fish was still alive, of course, it's not just going to die instantaneously because you caught it. And I panicked because it looked horrible. And I knew this fish was just an excruciating pain. And he's got a freaking hook in his mouth and out his eyeball. So I, I panicked and I tried to pull the fish hook out of the fish. Now, I don't know if you remember what fish hooks look like, but they're meant to go in and not out. That's the whole way that you catch the fish. They're pronged so that... Mm-hmm. You can't, they can't be yanked out easily. So me trying to yank it out, I had to put a lot of force into it. And I ended up ripping it out of the fish. And it was, it was so brutal. The fish was too small for me to keep and eat anyway. So I ended up just throwing it back in the water. And I was like, what was the point of that? That wasn't fun. I just, I, I ruined that fish's day. Like, yeah. for real. Like, he's not going to survive that. He's going to die. And... For what? Just because I, I wanted to be out there doing that? Fun. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, man, uh, as, as a young adult at this point, I was like, maybe this isn't for me. And then on my way home, my car broke down. And I Sounds was like, like karma is, to me. this has got to be karma for what I did to that fish. And yeah, I mean, my car broke down to where it was totaled. Like there was, I had to call, I had to call a tow truck to come take it away forever. Like my engine was screwed. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that was the last time I ever fished in real life. 
And that was your real life fishing story sponsored by Bass Pro Shop. Not, yeah, not, for real. Not really. We're not sponsored. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so speaking of real fishing, Animal Crossing and The Legend of Zelda are obviously way fictionalized, cartoonish games. There's nothing realistic oh, yeah. about them. But surprisingly, over the the years, there have been so many fishing games released, like actual sport fishing games. Just like how you got NBA 2K coming out every year or NFL Madden coming out every year. You got Bass Pro Shops fishing like every year, whatever it is. I don't even know whether <laughs> Bass King or whatever these games are called. And I always wondered, who was buying these? Who was playing these? Like who was like, oh man, it's 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 the the weather's bad outside. I can't go fishing in real life. I'll just stay in today and and play a fishing video game. So if one of our listeners plays these fishing games, please email us. Give us give us the details. What is the appeal to these? Because this just does not seem like something that would translate well to a video game. Yeah, I, I don't want ultra realistic fishing i don't i don't want to see your horror story of the fish with his eyeball out in my video game (laughs) and a lot of these fishing games were released on the sega dreamcast for some reason out of all the consoles that was the one that was just like the hotbed of fishing games so much so that i remember sega releasing an official fishing rod controller and yeah you just plugged into your sega dreamcast just like any other controller and it looked like a fishing rod without the pole it was just like the handle part and it had a reel that you could reel reel it in and i remember seeing this in the stores back when sega dreamcast was new and and still in stores and it just blew my mind i was like who is this for who is that die-hard of a video game fishing fan that they're buying this fishing reel controller? Uh, but I have to say, even though it doesn't appeal to me, the technology is pretty cool because it had, a, I don't know, maybe a gyroscope or whatever, something that you would actually be able to, to flick it and it would, depending on how hard you flicked it, would, in the game, throw out your line. And then I think it had rumble or whatever to kind of go with you reeling the fish in. But I got a picture of it up on the screen now if anybody's watching this. Um, But if not, if everyone's just listening in, like I said, it just looks like the handle. It's got an analog stick right in the middle, a couple of buttons, and then the thing you reel on the side. And yeah, it just, it blows my mind uh, how many compatible games there were for this because i was just complaining the other week that on playstation 2 they released the gun con 2 light gun and there's maybe five games tops that actually supported it and then on the original xbox there's only i think three games that support the light gun on that and then on sega dreamcast there was only like three or four games that supported the light gun but yet the freaking fishing controller there's like 10 games that support it i'm just like what so here's a quick list there's okay this is an interesting name too 
Bass Rush Dream Eco Gear Power Worm Championship. Oh, God. That is one game. That is the name of one game. I did not just name off five games. That's one game. Bass Rush Dream Eco Gear Power Worm Championship. Released that in sounds the year like a, uh, a Kingdom Hearts uh, game name. <laughs> what the heck? Was this released in the U.S.? That's what I want to know. Uh, that can't be. That has to be a Japanese release. It, it was only like... released in Japan. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Japanese games have the wildest names. Yep. Uh, then the other one is Lake Masters Pro Dreamcast Plus. And then there's Real Fishing Wild. Sega Bass Fishing, Sega Bass Fishing 2, Sega Marine Fishing. So, I mean, these things must have been selling because they're making yeah. sequels and all that stuff. So somebody's Man. buying this stuff. And then this is what's interesting to me. In addition to all these fishing games, the controller is also compatible with Soul Calibur, the fighting game for some reason. Not quite sure how that works. And, uh... Let's see here. It, it was like a Wiimote. <laughs> yeah, I thought there was some information about how it worked in Soul Calibur, but I'm not seeing it. And yeah, that's another... And then years, years, years later, this is what's interesting to me. It was discovered that Virtua Tennis supports the fishing controller. And this is just somebody stumbling upon that. There's no, uh... It's not like in the manual or anything. Sure. And, and I don't think this was discovered until like 2014 or something. I don't remember. The year was in here s somewhere. But anyway, yeah, they realized that that motion sensor that's supposed to throw the reel out, you can actually use that to, uh, to hit the tennis ball. And depending on how hard you swing it will control how hard your character is hitting the tennis ball in this game. I don't know if this was actually by design or if it just was a coincidence that the way Virtua Tennis worked just happened to line up perfectly with this. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was like the Wii remote before the Wii remote. Alright, so here's some, here's some comparisons in this article that are between Wii Tennis and Virtua Tennis using the fishing rod controller. And Wii Tennis has forgiving sensitivity, so you can be played without too much, um, too much force, but Virtua Tennis, unforgiving sensitivity, makes you really swing that rod hard. Wii Tennis, character movement, no, it does that for you. Virtua Tennis, you have the thumbstick on the the controller so you actually can control your character with the thumbstick uh, i'm wondering uh you know how many tvs were broken with the wii modes i wonder how many tvs were broken with this if you're having to put that much force behind it <laughs> yeah so. oh my god they got a video of somebody playing it that's hilarious anyway i thought that was interesting and uh Mitch, I sent some links that I want you to check out. Dug up some old advertisements for the Sega Dreamcast fishing controller. And they're weird. I think we forget how weird 
old video game commercials were. Especially like Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis. And yeah. I guess Sega Dreamcast is uh, no exception. This one, the Get Bass Sega Dreamcast one is wild. Yeah. Ah, the Dreamcast. I miss you so. There's one more. Let me see the second one. Yeah, for those just listening, the first one, some woman was like outside for some reason with the Sega Dreamcast fishing rod controller and she ends up wrangling some some guy and pulling him in. And it's all real people too, it's not like video game graphics. Just weird stuff. Man, I don't know. Maybe I'll have to pick up the fishing game for Dreamcast. Yeah, again, like, looking at the Sega bass fishing one, it just re- reminds me of, like, dive bars where those fishing games would also be at the dive bars that you could play, and I feel like that's the only people who ever play those if you're at a dive bar. Like, I don't know, I don't, I don't know who's buying these, so yeah, I also am very curious. Yeah, if you're drunk at the bar, you got Cabela's Hunting 2004, Sega bass fishing... And uh, what's the other one? Golden Tea, all golden lined up tea. next to each other. What do you want to play? Yep. Yep. That that's that's the classic trio of dive bars. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah I, my fiance and I were just at the bar uh, last weekend, and um, it's Chicago Bears themed, of all things. In Atlanta, Georgia. Wow. So that was pretty interesting. But yeah, they had a, I had one arcade game there. It was a very tiny dive bar. Food was amazing. They had one arcade game, and it was Golden Tea. Yep. I mean, those things got popular somehow, and I'm, I'm sure people are still playing them a lot to this day. Yeah. And I wonder how they work. I, Because they're connected to the internet. And some of them even advertise you can do online play, which no. which makes me ask the question, are there enough people on Golden Tees in random bars around the country that you can actually get matched up with somebody online? Like, how many people are on those servers at any given moment? I would love to know that. I bet there's nobody playing online on that. I think there's only people playing for, like, the high score on certain holes. That's what I usually see, like, the the running high score thing at uh, Jim at uh, Buffalo Wild Wings in East Peoria. He's got the, you know, the the high score. (laughs) That's cool to me that they're, they're connected to the Internet. Because, yeah, you can you can see the high score not only of the people who've been playing in the bar that you're in on the machine that you're playing on, but you can see all around the country who has the high score. It is cool that you can play against other people online, even though there's probably nobody on those servers frequently enough to actually get a, a matchmaking going. And right. it's probably easy for them to push updates to all of these golden tees and all these bars, like new new courses or or new characters and stuff like that. It's probably very useful from the developer standpoint on having these internet connected. But yeah, mm-hmm. I've, I've been at arcades that have internet connected machines in like they'll have like Virtua Fighter or maybe Tekken or Street Fighter, some type of fighting game. And yeah, I can never get in a lobby even when I try. No, I think the part of the fun of like 
any arcades like where you can play against somebody is like playing against them in the arcade yeah in person yeah like i remember uh like in the arcades here in uh, chicago i would go and uh we'd play uh this game called killer queen and it's like a really like a cooperative game it's like a four on four yeah four on four type game and uh it's all about like finding a different way to either kill their queen or there's there's like three different ways you can win but it's a it's a very uh it's a very fun game that uh, i always play when i'm at the arcades i've never even heard of that i'm looking at the yeah they actually have it on steam but there's nobody that plays it on steam and it's really but it's always packed when i go to a bar i'm looking at the website now just three really ways to win. You either move the snail all the way to the end, you kill their one person, one controlled person is the queen on each team, and that queen can fly around uh, the map and kill all the uh, the worker ants, or the uh, the worker bees can uh, put the honey into the in this in the comb and if you fill up the the comb all the way before the other team you win so there's three different ways you can either kill their queen three times you can move the snail all the way to your side before they do or you can fill the the combs with honey their promotional video has very little gameplay it's just people talking about the game kind of would like to see it in action uh, yeah, you need to see it in action because yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's some huge like arcade thing. So it says it's ten a ten player arcade game. Wow. Okay, five on five. Yeah. And you can you can buy a cabinet off their website for fifteen thousand dollars. What a bargain! Yeah. If I was made of money, sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you had a bar, you probably make that back. Yeah. Killer Queen. Yeah, I just want to see some gameplay. Uh, look up uh, Killer Queen Steam. I bet you can find some gameplay. Okay. Or even on Steam. I think they shut down their servers on Steam but they, <laughs> because nobody played it. Uh, but it's, My friends and I had to play a little bit on it. I found Zombies, a Killer Queen remix. Oh. Let me see if I can. So it's like a 2D game? Yes. Side scrolling. That's cool, man. Yeah, it seems just to be probably a game that's yeah, meant to be played in person with a group of people. Yeah, it's when a lot of the uh Steam reviews are more saying like it's a great it's a great in-person party game but uh, i don't need to play it online or something like that which yeah this one only has four user reviews and it's been out for like two years so i don't think too many people on steam are even aware of it no i don't think it was marketed that well i only knew about it because of uh, uh i only knew about it because of the arcade really yeah there are some videos on uh, steam it's killer queen black and uh you can see a little bit of video on it. Interesting. Oh, all right, man. We got w- one more topic to go over yeah. before yeah. we end this episode. And 
The big for- one. Huh? <laughs> I say it's a big topic. Yeah, it's a, it's sad, a sad topic. Unfortunately, sad topic. So, here at The Hills, our silent podcast, we're always upset when games get delisted. Delisted game alert. And a game we just talked about recently, which Mitch actually recommended to me just a few episodes ago, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 1 and 2, is... He told me, he's like, you should check it out. It's a great game. It used to be on Xbox 360. That's where Mitch played it. And then he said it was re-released as like an HD remaster bundle with both the first and the second game on Steam, Xbox One, and PlayStation 4. So I was like, all right, man, I'll go check it out. Went to check it out. Sure enough, it no longer exists on any of those platforms. So the game was originally released in 2015 on xbox 360 is that correct that can't be right is that right one did you say 2016 2015 that sounds Um, pretty late in the xbox 360's life alliance maybe that's when the second one came out okay wikipedia says it was released in 2006 yep that's that sounds way more right because i definitely played it in the heyday of the Xbox 360 life cycle. Okay. Excuse me. I'm looking at the wrong thing. That was the date it was delisted from Xbox mm. 360. So it was delisted from the digital storefront on Xbox 360. It was released both physically and digitally. But it was delisted digitally in 2015. And then in 2016, it was re-released as that HD bundle with both games. Yep on PlayStation 4, Steam, and Xbox One. And exactly two years later, it was delisted in 2018, down to the day, July 26, 2018. So what I'm assuming is that, I guess it's Activision that published this game. I'm assuming they signed, with with all these superhero based games they have a limited time that they can license these characters so i'm assuming activision probably signed a two-year deal with marvel to re-release this game Mm -hmm. and then as soon as that licensing agreement expired two years later they pulled it from all the digital storefronts which to activision probably is not a big deal because For one, they sold the game on the Xbox 360 and I believe the PlayStation 3. And then here they had an opportunity to relicense and resell the game. And I'm sure most of the copies that were going to get sold were sold within those two years. So, but still, it's sad that now at this point, you can no longer get this game, not on the Xbox 360 marketplace, not on Steam, not on PS4, not on Xbox One. If you want this game anymore, you got to go hunt down an old used Xbox 360 copy. Yeah, if you want my copy, uh, it's going to cost you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sad about it. So I'm really curious about the online servers now because uh, John, my buddy John, who I think I shout out every podcast these days, uh, him and I, as I've talked about in the past, played this game a lot growing up, and we actually have played it more recently 
uh, whenever him and I game together on Xbox with the new bundled edition or the newest bundled edition on Xbox One. So really curious to see if uh, it just got delisted, but they kept the servers up and running or you just can't play online anymore. Yeah, I'd be. Yeah, check if the servers are still up and also check if LAN is supported. Because as long as a PC game still has LAN support, you can you can work around that to get it back online to play co-op. Yeah, but if we have it on the 360, or I mean, if we have like the the Xbox copy, I don't know if we can. There's a workaround. Oh for yeah, us yeah, to... yeah. That's right. You said you had an Xbox One copy, not the PC copy. Yeah. Nope. Yeah, no dice there. No dice, unfortunately. So anyway, like we've talked about on a previous episode when we covered some delisted games is that when games become delisted if anybody has a steam key that they never redeemed and linked redeemed with their steam account meaning it's still redeemable people will really really hike up the price of that key because now you have something that's supply and demand you got something that's very very rare and there's people that want it so before we covered the game Clive Barker's Jericho which that was delisted years ago as well and I think we saw on g2a.com which is a site where a lot of people sell unredeemed mm-hmm. steam keys I think it was going for I don't know what was it, like two three hundred dollars yeah I, said, I thought it was a few hundred dollars yeah and not worth it at all uh, but this Marvel Ultimate Alliance bundle Steam key is on G2A. It is selling for $2,785.50. These people Insane. are asking for over $2,000 for this unused Steam key for this game. Who is going to pay that? <laughs> Someone with too much money that they don't know what to do with. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I want to know how did he, this person who's selling this key, come to the dollar figure where he is like, yeah, I think it's worth $2,785.50. Like, there's not even like a, con- like, uh, there's no other like key on here that I can see to like, maybe like he was like driving the price like 50 cents under the next person or something like that. Yeah, um, who knows? Maybe there is a way that you can see what the last one sold for maybe that's because it's a very random price uh to, yeah, to throw really. out there <sighs> offers man that's crazy though uh you could just go out and buy a, you can get an xbox 360 for i don't know 70 80 dollars and then a copy of ultimate alliance one and two for maybe 30 40 bucks and uh, you can buy that 10 times over before you would need to spend over $2,000 on a key to play it on Steam. I don't know if somebody's been listening to our podcast and maybe swiping some keys, but I'm looking at Clyde Barker's Jericho Gangs. I was very curious, and that is now up to $1,000. What? What? Yeah. Same on G2A. Clive Barker... You're right. What the heck? A thousand dollars for Clive Barker's Jericho? 
And it's not like it's just like a random seller. This is a seller with 100% positive feedback and looks like over 26,000 sales. Yeah. So, I mean, they know what they're doing. Yeah. What the heck? Exactly. Like, how do they know what to charge? Did somebody... And what happened to make this go up in price from where we just talked about it a couple months ago? On Yeah. I don't know, man. It's wild. A lot of people listening to the Hills Are Silent podcast, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> With money. With money. <laughs> Got some, some rich <laughs> listeners and viewers. We're looking for sponsors, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's sad to see these games delisted because you can't get them anymore. And then the only people you can get it from are resellers asking for an arm and a leg to play this game but I appreciate you recommending this game but maybe I'll stumble across an old 360 copy when I'm hitting up the the used game stores around town definitely your best bet now because uh, I don't think you're shelling out 2k for uh, no not at all it's not worth 2k either great great fun game to play have a few drinks with your buddy and do a little co-op but uh, not 2k's worth yeah <laughs> All right, man. Well, that was the last thing we wanted to cover. I think we can wrap the episode here. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks again. If you made it all the way to the end, you can check us out on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're already watching us as well. <laughs> True. Yeah, just wherever that may be. You're watching us. Yeah, that's totally fine. So uh, yeah, you can uh, you can also find us on our social media handles. Uh, our TikTok is uh, at the Hills Are Silent Podcast. Our Instagram is Instagram backslash Hills Are Silent. Our Twitter is at the Hills Are Silent. Our YouTube again is at the Hills Are Silent. Special shout out to Typo, one of my good friends, for uh, commenting on all our videos and uh, providing some good feedback. If you have any questions or comments, go ahead and send them to hillsorsilent at gmail.com. Let us know if you're playing any of those fishing games, because we're really curious on who the heck is. Uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. <laughs>